Welcome to Hormone Health Podcast, brought to you by Georgia Hartman and Chloe Sheehan. This podcast is an extension of Hormone Health Studio, which is our naturopathic clinic based here in Newcastle and online. We're just two naturopaths who love a laugh, coffee, croissants, and conversations about real people with real health concerns. Nothing's off limits. We're here to educate you on what's happening in your body, share emerging research, and debunk buried health misconceptions. So sit back and let us do the talking. This episode is all about PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome. PCOS is more than just a hormonal condition. Isn't that right, Chloe? It is. It's a bit catchy. It is a bit catchy. And so what we're going to do is explain what we mean by that because, of course, we know PCOS, it involves the ovaries, so it's definitely going to have a reproductive hormonal component, but it's actually a lot more complex than that. So, yes, PCOS is a reproductive condition as well as a metabolic condition, but it also has psychological uh, symptoms with that too. So I'm going to explain what that sort of means because I can assure you that there's going to be a lot of listeners out there who either themselves may be dealing with some symptoms, are yet to be diagnosed or have been diagnosed with PCOS. Mm. So when we're thinking about PCOS in talking about hormones, we think about irregular or absent periods. We think about symptoms of high androgens, uh, which can typically mean hair loss on your head, facial hair growth, and also presentations of acne. Um, There can also be an involvement in terms of if you're not having a regular cycle, there can be a risk of that endometrial tissue because it hasn't had that sort of regular bleed. Mm. But then we think about metabolic influence, and that's sort of a different category in the body. And Mm. this is really where insulin comes in. People may know or have heard about insulin, but it's one of those hormones that maybe isn't as well understood, but it's got a big involvement with blood sugar. And the risks around PCOS and metabolic Uh, the metabolic system is that it can contribute to things like high cholesterol, weight gain, fatty liver, um, and cardiovascular risk as well. And then there's the psychological aspect. People with PCOS, we know are at a higher risk of symptoms of anxiety, Mm. low mood, even disordered eating behaviors. Mm -hmm. And then that's where it gets really interesting, isn't it? Particularly when we start talking about insulin and how to manage insulin and talking about food, it can get really complex for people that have history of disordered eating. Yeah, completely. It's That's why it's so important to make sure you're being guided by somebody who understands the yeah. complexity of PCOS. So maybe you can talk to us about PCOS in terms of how common it is in Australia. Yeah. So I don't know, effects, this is the, kind of the data we've got one in 10 women of reproductive age. It's like the most common condition of women of reproductive age, but who knows? And I think in Indigenous peoples, it's even more prevalent. Yeah, one in five. One in five, yeah. yeah. So we're bound to know someone Yeah, in our circle. It's almost like that condition that was overdiagnosed, but then it also is weirdly underdiagnosed too because it's hard to diagnose. And because there's such a spectrum, right, like, maybe that's one of the things that we can talk about is the different types of presentations of PCOS because you can get someone, you could you could have two people next to each other, you and I, and we could have completely different symptoms but still both have PCOS, which is why it's so interesting. Yeah, and we'll definitely discuss about that concept of 
lean PCOS and also sort of classic PCOS. Mm. Um, bear with me a moment because I'm going to go a little bit sciencey. But here I she think- is. Here she is. Do you have a stat for us? <laughs> Maybe I might, I might throw one in. Um, but I think it, in terms of giving it justice or understanding how PCOS presents, I think it's important to lay out the components. So if you need further understanding, pause it, even write it down. Um, but what we'll do is we'll also dedicate an Instagram post or even a blog. Mm-hmm. So just have visuals. I'm a very visual person. I like to show visuals. Um, so bear with me while I go through the sort of cascade of how PCOS PCOS is caused. So when we think about hormone production, essentially it's going to start in the brain, Mm -hmm. in our hypothalamus and in our pituitary, which are in our brain. And they have a direct communication message with our ovaries. Mm -hmm. And so if for whatever reason, hormones being those chemical messengers, if they're not sending the right signal to the ovaries, then that's going to either stop ovulation or that's going to cause a regular ovulation and one of the main reasons for this disconnect or discommunication from the brain to the ovaries in PCOS is elevated insulin mm, interesting and so what i really want to sort of make a make a point of here is that there's a big influence of one's genetics and epigenetics in the role of PCOS and so whether your mum or your auntie suffered with symptoms, that can also be passed down onto you too. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so we're thinking about elevated levels of this hormone insulin. Um, What this can do is it can cause abnormal spikes of a hormone called gonadotrophin-releasing hormone, which is also in the brain. And we need that hormone to send messages to produce or send messages to produce ovulation. Mm -hmm. These hormones are called luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating hormone. Mm -hmm. Now, if there is an issue with these two hormones, say too much luteinizing hormone, that's going to increase our estrogen production and our androgen production, contributing to those symptoms such as acne or body and facial hair. Mm -hmm. Whereas not enough of follicle-stimulating hormone, as the name suggests, can stop. Completely. Yeah, can stop follicle development. And so, yeah, like I said, we'll put up a bit of a picture about this communication. Um, But that's essentially what and how PCOS is caused, the main thing being that elevated insulin levels. Aside from that, though, like what are some other things that elevated insulin does to hormones? So when somebody has elevated insulin levels, they may find that they have an inability to shift weight. They may find that they're increasing their weight or their body composition changes. Mm. Say, you know, somebody might find that they're more of like that um, store weight around their abdomen section. Um, When insulin is elevated, chronically elevated, we find that there can be a decrease in another whole protein called sex hormone binding globulin. Now, when that um, protein is actually low, it can stop binding to testosterone. And we don't want too much testosterone circulating around because, again, that can contribute to these symptoms. Worse than the symptoms, yeah. yeah. And so classically what we find is that people who are diagnosed with PCOS will have a low level of sex hormone binding globulin, SHBG. Mm-hmm. Now, 
it's not just all happening or things happening in the ovaries. We also need to think about the fact that insulin, um, when it's elevated, it can also increase or have an action on our adrenal glands. And our adrenal glands, uh, they can also produce these androgen hormones such as DHEA, um, and, and that can worsen these sort of symptoms of uh, stress or insulin resistance because of that production in cortisol and other androgen levels too. So basically what you're saying is that we can do some testing of hormones to see what effect and what impact this hormonal miscommunication could be having in in the sense of PCOS. Yeah, definitely. And I think what's important with that too is that you're taking a case history because that's going to give you mm. a more broader picture mm-hmm. because these things in isolation, say if you've missed one period or you weren't ovulating mm-hmm. that month, some people are just sort of prone to these symptoms. Like I think I was born with a moustache. Do I have PCOS? Don't know. <laughs> I can picture you with a little moustache. Okay, maybe it's photo. A- Is that going to be the social photo that we share? It's an exaggeration. Um, to see your baby photo of Chloe. <laughs> It's interesting, though, because insulin and and elevated levels of insulin and insulin resistance can occur in all body types. And I think that's really interesting because often when we think of PCOS, we can be told that, oh, no, you must have acne. You must have unwanted facial hair growth, like a beard. You must be overweight. Yeah. When, in fact, you could be the complete opposite. And that's why anybody sitting in front of you you have to completely, you know, you can't put them into a category mm. um, because PCOS does not judge. It, mm. it can happen to anybody. Um, yeah. I think too, let's talk about how to diagnose it because there's actually two different criteria and this is where it gets really confusing because it almost depends on who you talk to to determine whether you've got PCOS or not. So, And whether, you know, you speak to one doctor who's had, you know, certain trainings or mm. something else um, or whether, you know, they've done particular testing or taken a, car- a detailed history. Mm. But this is sort of what we would go off. Yeah. So two different types of criteria. One is called the Androgen Excess and PCOS Society Criteria. <laughs> Just rolls off the tongue. Just a mouthful. <laughs> Just a mouthful. Um, and this one says that a woman qualifies for PCOS when she meets all three of the following. One is irregular periods or polycystic ovaries on an ultrasound. Two is high androgens on blood tests or symptoms of high androgens, such as hirsutism, acne. And the third is exclusion, exclusion of other conditions that would cause high androgens. And when we're sort of talking about the exclusion of things that will cause high androgens, we need to think, is that going to be things like hypothyroidism, Mm -hmm. elevated prolactin levels? um, Hypothalamic amenorrhea. Um, The other criteria is called the Rotterdam criteria. And this is a broader set of criteria. And this one says that women qualify for PCOS when she meets only two of the following. So one, again, either irregular um, cycles or absent ovulation, two high androgens on a blood test or symptoms of high androgens, three polycystic ovaries on an ultrasound, plus the exclusion of other conditions that would cause high androgens. Now, the problem is that if you use the Rotterdam criteria to diagnose PCOS and you have two of the three, you know, criteria, one being 
polycystic ovaries on an ultrasound and two being irregular cycles. The problem with that is that it discounts the role that androgens play. And we know that PCOS is driven by elevated levels of androgens, whether that's then driven by insulin, you know, the hormonal cascade continues. But the problem is that if you've been told you have PCOS and your only two kind of symptoms were irregular cycles and you've got polycystic ovaries on the ultrasound, that might not actually be PCOS. That might just be that you didn't ovulate that month. And also I think the thing that we need to consider is that nothing is ever going to be completely perfect when we're talking about uh, diagnosing because, you know, when we think about testing hormones, say testing testosterone, it's not a gold standard. There's so much that can be, you know, incorrect with that different differing levels, mm. depending on the cycle time, depending on what time of the day you got this testing done. Mm-hmm. So I think we always need to look at that individual and say, what are your symptoms? Even though, you know, these things may come back mm. that they weren't expecting on the blood test. Yeah. So we, we would test, we'd do some bloods. We would test androgens. You know, testosterone, we test DHEAS, we test SHBG, we'd look at LH, FSH, estradiol. We'd speak about your family history, we'd mm-hmm. ask about when symptoms were occurring. But I think as well, you know, the biggest thing when somebody is suspecting PCOS diagnosis is what's happening with insulin resistance. Mm, absolutely. Now, in order to sort of test for insulin resistance, The most comprehensive way um, would be looking at glucose tolerance tests, testing something called your HbA1c, fasting glucose, and fasting insulin levels. Um, And I wish I could say that that would be 100% Mm. clear with the results, Mm -hmm. but it's not always the case, but it's the best we have. Mm. Because it can change, right? I mean, so too can any of these tests, but I think if we can get really comprehensive in terms of our questioning, our case taking, figuring out what you eat, what your lifestyle's like, and then doing testing, we then can put that all together in one big picture and go, okay, here's what's going on for you. Here's what we need to do about it. So I'm hearing you say, okay, Chloe, I get the science I get that, but how do I treat my symptoms? <laughs> I hear you, girl. And so this part, we're going to talk about management. Mm-hmm. As naturopaths, how do we support somebody who's come to us, say that they've been recently diagnosed with PCOS and they want support? Because we know that the first line of treatment mm-hmm. is nutritional and lifestyle changes. That's the first thing that's important. And gone are the days where we say eat less and move more. Absolutely. That's bollocks. Bollocks. <laughs> that's bollocks. <laughs> so what do we say chloe we say beep no we don't swear we just say okay these are the things that we do and you know there's going to be a million and one influencers out there mm. wanting you to buy their products and say do this do that but there's some real key dietary and lifestyle interventions that you can do mm. and i think when you know if we're going to talk about the movement component what i say to my clients is move your body in a way that feels good mm whether that be getting out in the garden, whether that be high-intensity exercise as long Mm -hmm. as you're feeling okay after Mm -hmm. exercise, whether that be, you know, yoga, Pilates, do something that makes you feel good because then you're going to have the consistency. On that, we're going to have a guest in coming weeks who is going to be talking about exercise and hormonal health so that we can dive a bit deeper 
which I'm actually so excited I've about. Got so many questions. So do for I have so many questions because often you'll hear people say like, "Don't do high intensity exercise; it's the worst thing for your hormones." Or "Don't do CrossFit." I love CrossFit. Am I good at it? No. Do I love it? Yes. <laughs> Am I good at it? No. Do I love it? No. <laughs> <laughs> My neck and shoulders actually are really sore because we were doing headstands yesterday. You would have loved watching me try and do a headstand. Oh, my gosh. I want photos. The weakest part of my body is my arms. The trainer was like, um, how about, Georgia, we just uh, come off the wall Come off the wall, and let's try. <laughs> For you, we're going to try stretching. You go outside to your car, get in, go, go home. home, try again tomorrow. Put a cupper on. <laughs> what about nutritional interventions like I think the big thing here is going to be stabilizing blood sugar and insulin Mm -hmm. levels yeah absolutely and we can do a lot of that through food yeah and through exercise one of the big things I say is that when it comes to insulin resistance and us trying to improve insulin sensitivity so that the cells can then uptake insulin and it can come back down in the blood we're wanting to stabilize blood sugar levels and I think what tricks people is they think, oh, well, I probably have to cut out dairy and I have to cut out gluten. I'm going to go on a bit of a rant, so bear with me. Mm-hmm. Gluten is a protein mm-hmm. and dairy, you know, it's it's almost like when I say to my clients, it's like if you're going to cut out dairy, it's like saying cars. What does that mean? Does it mean red Hold cars? Ford. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I'm saying what we probably would want to is maybe sweet dairies, mm. dairies, <laughs> plural, <laughs> Milkshakes, thick shakes, you know, ice creams, those sorts of things in moderation. But I think cheeses, I think, you know, yogurt, that can be a really good way to balance and stabilize blood sugar levels because of the protein Mm. calcium levels. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I agree. I think one of the big things that I recommend is avoiding processed sugar. Now, this is where it's interesting because obviously, you know, each kind of mouthful of processed sugar that you have kind of drives you deeper and deeper into insulin resistance. But the problem with insulin is that it can worsen cravings, right? Like if there's this huge blood sugar dysregulation, you can have cravings. And when I think of cravings, I think there's two kind of components to cravings, like sugar cravings. One is short willpower and habit. Mm -hmm. And if you don't buy it and it's not in the house and you're not just reaching for it. But the other component is completely metabolic. And sometimes if it's coming from insulin, working on insulin sensitivity is what will actually reduce the sugar cravings. And I think a thing to add here as well is that people with PCOS, as I said earlier, they have a higher risk of disordered eating behaviors because they're trying to sort of self-manage and they're trying to say, well, I've gained weight or I'm not shifting weight. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do these sort of maybe radical things. But I think what we probably find is that we say, okay, let's simplify it Mm -hmm. and say, we just want you having regular main meals, Mm -hmm. get rid of the sort of constant grazing or snacking Mm -hmm. throughout the day and have something that fills you up. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, yeah, finding some sort of routine around that. And it's, Dependent, right? Like I feel like I don't have a blanket recommendation for every single person that comes to see us for PCOS. It's like, well, how is it affecting you? What What is it like when you eat just three meals a day? What's it like when you eat more regularly? What's 
what's it like when you eat less and how do you respond to that? And some people respond really well. We spoke about intermittent fasting a bit in Mm -hmm. a previous episode. You know, some people respond really well to that. I love it. Others, it's just like no go. And I think we need to think about the fact that, yes, insulin and blood sugar are influenced by food, but they're also influenced by our stress levels. Mm. Because when we go into a fight or flight situation, essentially our body is perceiving either that we need to run away or fight. And so we need energy. We need adrenaline through our bloodstream and we need glucose in our muscles. However, that stress is not running away from a predator. It's in a stressful meeting or Mm -hmm. it's sitting in traffic or it's dealing with kids. So if you're dealing with high levels of stress, being in that fight or flight, or even not getting adequate sleep, that's going to definitely impact your blood sugar levels and your insulin levels. Okay, so that's nutritional aspect. I don't know if that helps anyone. I feel like (laughs) it's hard to say. Like I feel like we, not until I sit with someone for a full hour, do I go, okay, here's the nutritional recommendations we're going to make. I need to know all of these aspects first before I can recommend what you should be eating and when. Um, We use supplements in our, for our clients if, Mm -hmm. if needed. Um, I think that I typically use uh, products that contain myo-inositol mm-hmm. because the way in which that works is helping to um, stabilise blood sugar levels and insulin levels. So that's maybe one that people might be familiar with when talking about PCOS. Same with like magnesium, berberine-containing herbs, uh, even things like omega-3 fatty acids and vitamin D. There's lots of... Uh, nutrients and herbal medicines that we can use depending on your presentation depending on your presentation for sure so what other okay so we've talked about exercise we've talked about nutrition we've talked about supplements now the thing with sometimes you just need extra support and I know something that you love what do I love you I know that you love this because you said to me once let's mix it up and sell it and then nothing happened because we can figure out TGA Spearmint tea. Yes. You love spearmint tea. I do love spearmint tea because it's such an inexpensive and easy way to help symptoms. So two cups of spearmint tea per day have been shown to reduce symptoms of hirsutism, which is facial or unwanted hair growth. So you can find spearmint tea online or at your local health food store, Mm -hmm. and that's something that you could start doing. But I think also as well, things like electrolysis for facial hair growth, a permanent solution to remove something if that's contributing to lower self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's going to be lots of different things. Unfortunately, hair symptoms are one of the slowest. Mm. Facial hair growth and even regenerating hair on mm-hmm. your head. What else? Um, flax seeds? So flax seeds around sort of 30 grams, which is equivalent of maybe like two tablespoons, mm-hmm. um, that has been shown to help uh, symptom and, and ovulation regulation for people with PCOS. I actually really like the taste of flaxseed meal and it's flaxseed meal. So it's the ground down mm-hmm. whole seeds um, because they contain natural plant sources of your essential fatty acids. Um, and so this is where we're sort of saying we can do targeted nutritional interventions to sort of get more of a consistent improvement with symptoms rather than radically, you know, taking out certain things or, um, you know, doing something that doesn't fit your lifestyle. Yeah, great. Can you tell us a bit about lean versus classic PCOS? 
Yeah, so this is one where it's hard because, like we were saying before, people may think that they don't fit the typical PCOS picture. Um, But what's interesting is that there is some in research around a medication called metformin and metformin is one of those medications that's used to help um, stimulate ovulation in Mm -hmm. people with PCOS. And they found that people who had lean PCOS took metformin and they had um, regulation of ovulation. Interesting. And even though they showed mild or even no insulin resistance. And so I think what that's saying is that there's in some way you know, at the moment there's there's hypotheses. We don't truly know the com- full complexities of PCOS mm. pathogenesis. Mm. Um, and so because even in, sorry to cut you off, even in like an IVF setting, often metformin is prescribed because it can have an effect on egg quality. So, yeah, I think there's so much to say about the role of insulin, even if insulin isn't necessarily elevated in the blood Yeah, when it comes to PCOS. And also one's um, risk of cardiovascular disease yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, so taking into account that whole person and, and understanding and saying, okay, well, you know, even though you may not be showing um, insulin resistance or maybe mild, still stabilizing your blood sugar levels can have a benefit mm-hmm. on um on your ovaries because oh, the ovaries have a glucose receptor mm-hmm. there is that feedback loop and the reason for that is that there needs to be monitoring as fem- as a female body makeup there needs to be monitoring that if a woman is going through famine or war Mm -hmm. or not getting constant supply of nutrients, the ovaries have that negative feedback loop to say to the brain, it's not safe for me to fall pregnant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. One of the things that bothers me in clinical practice is whenever I see someone with PCOS and someone who has insulin resistance and they've been told, oh, let's just monitor it, you're not trying to conceive just yet, don't worry. And I think, oh, my goodness, PCOS is not just a reproductive condition. It's metabolic. It puts you at risk of weight gain, cardiovascular. You know, we went through all of the long-term metabolic risks of PCOS. And so the problem with just saying, let's just monitor it, I don't know. It's... can't believe it. I think it's worth probably noting as well why doctors will typically say have the pill for PCOS. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just going to give a little bit of a clarity around that because it can be quite frustrating to sort of have these symptoms and take note, go to your doctor and say, this is what I'm dealing with. And then them turn around and say, take the pill. And the reason for that is that if you haven't had a bleed for a little while, Mm -hmm. essentially PCOS can increase your estrogen levels. Mm -hmm. And if that estrogen is unopposed without progesterone, you only make progesterone when you ovulate, then unfortunately it means that you increase your risk of endometrial carcinoma, which is essentially where the cells sort of change in that endometrial lining. And so to initiate a sort of pill bleed um, or you're getting sort of that pill progestin, uh, then that can sort of mimic or reduce that effect. So that's sort of the reason why sometimes it may not be explained as well. Mm. But I think that can sort of, you know, whether you're working with somebody whilst you're on the pill or seeing us, we can naturally help to sort of get things going and naturally ovulate again. Mm. Particularly if you're having side effects to the pill, like often uh, we'll see people and hormonal contraceptives just don't work for them like they just 
feel horrendous. Or they want to fall pregnant. Or they want to fall pregnant. Yeah, exactly. And so I can think off the top of my head of several clients who have come to me with no periods mm-hmm. um, and they want to fall pregnant. And so we we really just get started um, in terms of trying to get that ovulation happening. The communication between the brain and the ovaries Completely. working properly. Yeah. Which is, reiterating again, a balance between blood sugar, which is the metabolic side, your stress which is your psychological aspect as well, and also that communication to the ovaries. So I think for those out there who might be a little confused now that they've listened to this. Yeah, I'm confused. (laughs) Why don't I? I don't know what criteria was used. I don't know what I'm taking. I don't know whether that's being tested or not. The best thing you can do is to have a chat with someone at Hormone Health Studio. There's a plug. And let us go through over a full hour in a console, let us go through all of the aspects in your diet, in your lifestyle, your stress, your sleep, your exercise, your test results, figure out if any further tests need to be doing to get a really good comprehensive understanding of what's going on for you hormonally. Once we have all of that, then we can come up with a really good strategy. My goal for working with clients is to give them clarification and to give them sort of that role of saying, okay, I'm going to be responsible for this now. Mm -hmm. Let me guide you. Let Mm -hmm. me help you. I'm going to help you to make this achievable and to give you sort of clarification around what's going on, why your body is potentially behaving this way. But it starts with that sort of first step of initiating that conversation Mm -hmm. Um, rather than following, you know, certain people online who may say you've got to do this or that, um, that don't have qualifications Speak to someone who knows their shit. (laughs) (laughs) Is that professional? (laughs) Completely, I think. I think that's the beauty of a podcast, though. You know, you don't have to be, no one can see you. Exactly. Just leave leave reviews. (laughs) (laughs) They swear too much. (laughs) Okay, well, if anyone out there has PCOS, we would love to hear from you. Or if you think you have PCOS or if your sister or someone has PCOS, Send them the podcast, send them the episode, reach out. If you have any questions, yeah. I'm happy to sort of go through things again, but I am going to say it now so that I do it, but I will write a blog with images. Great. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you liked it, leave us a review and follow us on socials. We'd love to hear from you.